On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we've got an interview with ESPN's Holly Rowe. Holly's quite possibly the most well-liked person in all of college football, and we talk OU, Oklahoma State, Big 12, and some national college football with her. Before Holly's interview, we give you a little update about what OU's doing during the bye week in the National College Football Roundup. We discuss the big news in college football and preview a less-than-stellar slate of games we give you our winners and losers of the week and wet the beak with a tradition unlike any other oh yeah the masters is this weekend to finish up we break down the thunder's new head coach in keeping it local well really we just try to figure out how to pronounce his last name please download and subscribe to the podcast rate it five stars and write us a good review follow the show on twitter instagram facebook and youtube just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Thursday, November 12th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. We have got an interview with everybody's favorite, Holly Rowe from ESPN, and it's pretty great, Ted. You get everything in there. You get some personal stories with some players. You get a personal story from her that's great. You get some football stuff. I thought it was, that was one of the better like all-around interviews that we've had on here. It was great. Yeah, and... I, I do a radio show with Holly every weekday, so uh, she's spectacular and one of my favorite people. So uh, I think you guys will enjoy that. But first and foremost, we are recording this on Wednesday night, and it is Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day to all of you that have served this country or are currently serving this country. You guys are heroes. And uh, I think a lot of people – talk about you know athletes whether it's football players basketball players talk about them being role models and being heroes when it, it really is the men and women that serve this country in the military because they do shit that other people don't want to do right 
I know I'm not tough enough to do that stuff. I'm not built for it. But the men and women that protect this country and allow us to live the way that we live, uh, I hope that those people know that we appreciate you. And I hope there's not a single day that goes by where you don't feel appreciated because you guys are the reason that we're able to get on this podcast and talk about sports and say what we want to say. And uh, I know that I, I, I don't know how always to express my appreciation for the people that serve in the military, but you know, I, I just hope they, they feel really appreciated because they should Ted. No, you do what you can when you can. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And I always, uh, joke with my wife whenever veterans day comes around that every day's veterans day in our house because my son edward is he's named after my grandfather's brother who was shot down over germany in world war ii so um i mean that's a big thing in our family and it's uh it they 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 pay the ultimate price and they they go out there and <laughs> You know, we complain about a lot of things, you know, and right now there's some guys sleeping on cots in a base in Afghanistan. And yeah, you love what they do for us, man. There's, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. So that's, that's why I didn't start the episode uh, complaining about my internet <laughs> because, which I, I am at my mother-in-law's again, right? It came back, but it dropped a couple of times when I was doing radio today. So I was like, I can't trust it. I can't trust it. I can't let it mess up the podcast. So instead of starting with me bitching about my internet, I decided, I was like, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. We got some people that are serving this country that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the internet is it yeah. that big of I mean, a deal. It's a good thing you swallowed the joke because I know that it was on the tip of your tongue to say, well, I bet those guys have internet at that base. I, I was <laughs> going to do that. And then I was like, that's a bad idea, Gabe. Don't do that. <laughs> All right, Ted, let's get to the local college football. And that's brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing, and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will & Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. We should probably change that, huh? Because it's, it's not pool, so we drink it by the fire. I guess you could still go to the uh, – by the fire, yeah. on the couch, watching football. I don't know, but we, we'll figure it out. Time for a rewrite. Yeah, it's made in Oklahoma, and it's absolutely delicious. Will & Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at, at Will & Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. Okay, a quick note about Oklahoma before we get to call your shot and then our interview with Holly. The Sooners are treating – this week, the same as they treated their early bye weeks. They're going three hard days of practice. They're going to do some light stuff this weekend, and they're going to do a little bit less good on good because it's later in the season. So you start working in more things against the scouts, right, where you're, you're game planning. So you've got to throttle it down just a little bit. 
when you get into the month of November, just with how guys' bodies wear down throughout the season. But the bye week certainly, I think, it, it helps a lot with that hip bruise that Spencer Rattler's got, with that thigh bruise that Austin Stogner has. So that, that helps those guys recover. And I think those guys need this bye week. It also lets Jaden Hazelwood get a little more comfortable with that knee, right? I mean, you get to get him more full speed reps in practice. You get to get him more reps with the first team offense in practice. And then you look at the other side of things with Oklahoma State, right? Because we are heading into Bedlam next weekend. They may need this buy even worse than OU does because I think Oklahoma State is really glad that this game isn't this week with what they've got going on with Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace and LD Brown was banged up coming into that game last week. Uh, Colby Harvell Peel had to miss another game. Uh, Trey Sterling, I guess, banged up as well. So the list goes on and on for Oklahoma State, Teddy. Did they ever say what Tylen Wallace had? Did, did they ever put that out? All, all I've heard from people that cover Oklahoma State is that it is muscular. So it, it sounds like he pulled a hammy or a quad or like a calf in practice. And if you pull a hammy, I mean, two and a half weeks is that's not a lot of time, to, of course, depending on what you did to it, but it's not a ton of time to get back. And he's such an impactful player for them, man. I just, I don't know. Hamstrings are the, they're the most difficult injury to predict how much time a guy's going to miss. I had, uh, I had a hamstring that basically would never get right. They couldn't find the divot in it. The, the muscle tear was so small, but I, I just, I couldn't run at all. Couldn't move on it at all, or it would bite and it would get worse. I played with the guy, John McGraw. He was a safety from Kansas state played with him in Detroit. He's been all, he was all over the league, but he played essentially an entire season with the back of both of his hamstrings totally black and blue with a massive tear in his hamstrings. And he was fine. He could run, and it hurt. It was painful, but it wouldn't get worse. So it's like some guys, because of their stride or their flexibility, can play off of it. Other guys, it's like it's, it's never going to get right. It's going to ruin the season for them. We'll see. I mean, from – what people that are around that program are saying, like, it doesn't sound like a done deal that Tylen Wallace is playing in Bedlam, yeah. right? I, I, that changes everything. For they, they seem skeptical. I, I'm not going to believe he's not playing in that game until I see him on the sideline without a uniform on, right? right. But, yeah, that would be, that would be massive. So, uh, both the Sooners and the Cowboys enjoying a much-needed bye week from what it sounds like. All right, Teddy, let's move on to Call Your Shot. And Call Your Shot's brought to you by Rock and Roll Tequila. Rock and Roll Tequila is the ultra-premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is legit. If you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. 
When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. And we asked, what is your boldest prediction for the rest of the OU season? And we're going to go with one that comes in from Taylor M. on Twitter, at OU underscore Morgan. He says, OU wins out, gains a sixth consecutive Big 12 championship, narrowly misses the playoffs, and absolutely smashes an SEC team in a good bowl game. Oh, and the defense finishes in the top 15 in total defense. Hashtag Boomer. Appreciate the hashtag Boomer, Taylor. Thank you. That's a lot in one tweet, but nothing really out of the realm of possibility, right? No, it's not. I'm trying to bring up the the defensive stats right now. Um they haven't given up a, an incredible amount of yards to anyone. They are probably, as I, it's not numbered here, they're, pro, they're inside the top 25 right now for total defense, 338 again. I've got them on NCAA.com. Now, I don't really count it because they've got Wisconsin and Western Michigan and Toledo, you know, teams that have only played one game on here. But with everyone that has played a game at all, Oklahoma is 27th in total defense. I got Which, them. I, I just think, counted it. I got them at number 17 on teams that have played more than six games, six or more. So that's pretty good. I, mean, I, I think that's, I think that's doable. Um, now they're going to have to continue to play well down the stretch, but uh, I, I think they're, I think they're capable of that. So yeah, I think that one's doable. I'll tell you what's interesting though. Win out, narrowly miss, get the sixth Big 12 championship, narrowly miss the college football playoff, and play an SEC team in a good bowl. If that's what happens, if OU wins out, wins the Big 12, that's exactly what they're going to do. And they're going to play either, my guess would be Florida in the Cotton Bowl or Texas A&M in the Cotton Bowl. I think, I think Florida wins out and then loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And that would most likely put them in the Cotton Bowl against the Big 12 champion, the highest-ranked team in the Big 12. Who would you rather OU play in that game? I would rather them get Florida. Because – For the chance Isaiah's, to win the game or for my mentions? For, I, for a chance to win the game and really take some positive momentum into the offseason because – I think OU's offense would shred Florida's defense. Mm -hmm. And I think A&M, I'm starting to be an A&M believer. I don't like it one bit, but that running game, they got an offensive line, they got a defensive line. See, that's the one thing that I love how our defensive line is playing. I do. I love that they're getting to the quarterback. I love that they um, are penetrating, stopping the run. But let's face it, they haven't played even an average offensive line this year. 
Every offensive line they've played is bad by, like, top 25 football standards, right? I mean, and A&M's got a great offensive line. Yeah. So, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the last like thing we it. want is – No, I would love to see it. I'd love to go to that bowl. I'll tell you what I don't want. I don't want Oklahoma to win out, um, you know, win a Big 12, and then go to the Fiesta Bowl and play like BYU or Cincinnati. Because while I think that would be a great game, you get you get no credit at all for beating either one of those teams. If you go beat BYU, it's like, oh, well, of course you beat BYU. They haven't played anyone this year. If you go beat Cincinnati, it's like, well, what do you expect? They're you know, a group of five football team. Of course Oklahoma beat Cincinnati. But if you lose, it's like, you know, it's the end of the world type stuff. It's a lose-lose situation for Oklahoma. Yeah, that is the definition of a lose-lose for the Sooners. But, you know, I, I think that that's a pretty reasonable call your shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really do. All right, Ted, let's get to our interview with Holly Rowe. Uh, she is an absolutely spectacular human being. Of course, you see her on ESPN all the time covering all kinds of different sports but she is she is in the weeds now in college football season and here is our interview with Holly It is our pleasure to be joined by quite possibly the most well-liked human being in all of college football you see her face all over ESPN You can also hear her on what I'm told is one hell of a radio show on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio. She is the co-host of Big 12 Today with me. Uh, She is one of my favorite human beings on planet Earth. Holly Rowe is in the house. Well, hello, Holly. Hello. So I have been long waiting to do this show with you two because I feel a little bit like Teddy's the other woman is I see you guys doing this podcast mm-hmm. and I see you guys having chemistry and sharing a show together. You and I feel, total, I feel totally jealous constantly. <laughs> well, Hey, jelly. you know what? I'll tell you, um, I am getting some of the same benefit that you get when you work opposite Gabe, you turn into the likable person, you know, and it's just <laughs> like, it pours in, you know, it's fantastic. You know, well, I, I really can't even argue with that. That seems accurate. <laughs> no, Gabe's likable. He he likes to play the foil. He likes now, to play the villain. Now, Holly, you have been covering college football for quite a while now. Been doing it as part of some of the best crews, right, in broadcasting. And now you cover the Big 12 a lot more closely because of our radio show over there on Sirius XM channel 375 and it's made it a lot of fun for me but this is a podcast that is very college football heavy and I know you listen to it because you've told me you listened to it before so that made me happy I'm a show stalker yeah but it's also big influence Oklahoma football Oklahoma State football so I wanted to start with OU football with you you were at the game against TCU just a couple weeks ago got to see the team in person and just what did you think of the team when you saw them for the first time and 
what have you seen from them in the last couple of weeks? Because it seems like this team has started playing a lot better football. Yeah, it was really interesting because I feel like we labor over these teams and we read everything and we obsess over these teams. And until you see them in person, I don't think you really know what you know. And so seeing them in person, uh, there were a couple of takeaways is I thought the defensive front for Oklahoma was a lot better than I thought they would be. I really liked some of their guys up front. Um, I thought that they had depth at linebacker that I didn't think they had. I was, I guess I would say I was overall pleased with the size of the defense and, and the way they could hold up in the run game more than I anticipated. You know, you know, we criticize the back end of the Oklahoma defense and I feel bad because I know those kids are trying really hard and they're doing the best they can. But I was really surprised with how good that Oklahoma defense was up front. And I know they continue to improve. I'll tell you what's interesting and getting to see Oklahoma throughout the years in a four year span, you get Baker Mayfield, you get Kyler Murray, you get Jalen Hurts, and now you get Spencer Rattler. I don't know that there's ever been a team that has four high-profile quarterbacks four years in a row like that. What's that kind of been like to cover, and how do you think Spencer matches up with those guys both on the field and, like, demeanor off the field? Yeah, it's funny. In 20 years when we look back on this, you know, when we're all old and looking back on the time that we used to cover college football, we're going to be like – are you kidding me? That's the run of quarterbacks they had at Oklahoma. And, and the thing that's crazy is Oklahoma is a place that has had a run of quarterbacks. You know, they've, they've had good quarterbacks there. So many Heisman Trophy winners from Jason White, Sam Bradford, you know, and historically good quarterbacks um, when Barry Switzer was there. So that is an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position for Oklahoma. So first of all, that's really cool. Um, but I did get a chance to I would call it obsessively study Spencer Rattler. So, you know, I hadn't met him before, hadn't been able to talk to him before. So I was able to spend some time on the phone with him. Then I was able to kind of talk to him in person on the field. And I got to meet his parents in the stands. And one of the things that I don't think a lot of people have talked about is just how close he is with his family. Um, Before the game, he was over there talking to his parents and his sister, Olivia, Uh, before the game and then there was a play in the game and because there's not many fans in the stands it was pretty easy to pick this out he makes a play he goes and stands over on the sideline and I see him look up into the stands and do some kind of little signal that I am guessing was to his parents and to his family and then after the game he went right back to the stands to spend more time with his family and I was like you know this is the stuff on the side that we're not seeing or hearing necessarily about Spencer Rattler is He's so sweet and so cute with his parents. I I just, you know, he's this high profile kid. We've heard about him and hyped him up forever, but I just loved that little personal piece that I witnessed and saw about him that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. Yeah. And going back to that game, you know, cause Teddy and I, we were, we were in the booth and you were down on the field. I remember you telling me like, Hey, Spencer Rattler is actually a little, better built than I thought because if there's one thing I've learned this about you Holly if there's one thing that you do not like it is scrawny quarterbacks you are not a fan (laughs) of scrawny quarterbacks I don't I I have a real I like football player body you know what I mean like I I learned this phrase from a book about Nick Saban is um the moneymaker and it's a phrase they use about you know the the booty of the offensive linemen or defensive linemen 
Um, but I think there's some real truth to money makers position across the board positionally for football players. And when I see guys with thin legs, I'm immediately like, I don't like it. I don't, I, I can't withstand a beating. I don't know, you know, um, and so when I saw him last year as a freshman, just standing on the sidelines, and I did see him at practice a couple of times, he was, he was slender. You know, he's a, a thin, slim-hipped guy. But he put on weight in the offseason. I did talk to him about it, and he, he did try to bulk up. Not a lot, but maybe 10 pounds or something. And I think he is um, more athletic than I realized. You know, as a high school basketball player, really good basketball player. He played three sports growing up for most of his life. And I think he was more athletic than I initially gave him credit for. And then the other thing I will say is in this um, serial obsession I've had stalking him, you know, when I finally got to meet him and see him, dude has arm talent. Like I, I, there was a play in the game. I was standing over by Joe Castiglione on the far side, right side, 20 yard line. And Spencer's throwing to my left and he throws the ball downfield. I think it went to Marvin Mims. And I literally gasped out loud. I was like, oh, like that throw. It told me everything I needed to see about Spencer Rattler. So, you know, ask Gabe. I've been really poo-pooing all the hype. I hate it when we hype up kids and they have nowhere to go but fail in college football because we've hyped them up so unnecessarily. Um, I don't know if we hyped him up enough. Like he can really, really spin it. I'm always slow to come around on quarterbacks. Uh it's it's a it's a character flaw for me. I'm always like the last. Everyone's like, oh, he's good. I'm like, ah, eh, I don't know. But I'm I'm with you. I've I've he's been great and he's getting better week by week. It feels like too. Um, if you're talking about like the football body, like if you look at the running back position at Oklahoma throughout the last couple of years with Mixon and Samaje Pirine and Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon. We've had some really big backs, and this year it's kind of a little different. You know, with Ramondre Stevenson out, we had Seth McGowan, who's a true freshman, and I think he'll he'll grow into that uh, position a little bit. And then TJ Pledger, and we were a little bit small smaller there than we've been in the past. But Ramondre Stevenson comes in, and he's 245 pounds, and like we talk about it all the time, like the difference he's made in the running game. And I'm, I'm guessing you saw the same thing and it's kind of opened up this Oklahoma offense. Yeah. When I saw the running game in person, I have to say, I was kind of like, Ooh, this is not a typical Oklahoma running game. And that is not to knock, you know, TJ Pledger, who's doing the best he can. And I do think Seth McGowan, the young freshman has something, you know, he's big, he's got a thick lower body. And I think he can be good once he learns um, what to look for. I, I think he's still trying to pick up the holes in some categories and, and be patient with his offensive line play in front of him. But Ramondre Stevenson, I'm so proud of this kid. I mean, I know he got suspended. I know he made mistakes and didn't do the right thing. But whatever he did during this suspension, he hit the field ready to play and ready to contribute. And I just, I think that's hard for a kid right now through COVID and, and being um, kind of isolated from the team and not being able to contribute right away. I'm proud of the way he came back from the suspension and um, he's averaging eight yards a carry. I know he's only had 24 attempts, but eight yards a carry, man, like you say, hit the ground running. Like he literally hit the ground running. He hit the field running for Oklahoma and it's made a world of difference in their running game. Now, Holly, uh, one more OU question, because I definitely, I want to talk about Oklahoma state. Uh, I want to talk about the big 12 as a whole, but you know, since we've been working together 
you always bring the same thing up with me when it comes to Oklahoma, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and that's they just don't have the body types. They don't have the athletes that you see when you go cover, you know, big SEC games or big Big Ten games. And you've always brought it up. With what you saw the other week, do you think they're headed in the right direction, especially defensively, with the body types that Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley are starting to bring in the program? Do you think that that is starting to change? Is that how it looked to you? Yes. So where that manifested itself immediately was the defensive front. And I like their linebackers, kind of that jack position, that hybrid position and their linebackers. I think they look better. I'm still not completely happy with the length in the defensive end. And that doesn't always present itself as height. But um, I, I think the defensive back end for Oklahoma is still too small. I don't think they're long enough. And, you know, like I go and look at other teams and they've got guys that have range that have, you know, we, we would call it on a wide receiver, a, a catch circumference, you know, DBs have to have that because they've got to be able to get an arm up in there or be able to jump up or extend on a play to disrupt a ball. And so I don't think the secondary is where it should be right now, but I did talk to Alex Grinch about it. And I told, I showed him this, I did a two page um, survey in my workbook, like literally before the Oklahoma game, I wrote down every DB on the roster and then I, did the size breakdown, you know, by class. And then I did it for all the other top teams in the country. And he said, don't show it to me. I don't want to know how bad we stack up against other teams. You know, I I was like, look at this crazy professor research project I did on your secondary length that he was like, ah, I don't, you know, they are definitely trying to get a little bit bigger, you know, six foot guys. They have, I think four freshmen that are 5'11 or taller. Um, So I see them trying to upgrade. They just need to do more there. In my opinion. No, you, and they talk about that frequently. Uh, they'll say a little bit about it publicly. They'll say a lot about it privately. They, they are trying to get bigger in the secondary. And not to get too much into the weeds on this, but whenever you do go and see SEC teams and cover other conferences, Big Ten Conference, there, there's been a perception of the Big 12 that, ah, they don't play defense in the Big 12. How much do you think that's hurting the entire conference when it comes to getting those type of, of body types in to play those, those big edge guys, the, the six-foot-three safety on the back end? How much of just the perception – there's some really good defense being played in the Big 12 at times, but nationally everyone just throws it away is that they don't play defense there. Is, I mean, I think that's got to be part of the problem, right? It's weird because part of that is a false narrative. Yes, they play good defense in the Big 12. The offenses have just been really, really good, right? But it's also the style of offense. So if you are recruiting to a style, if you're recruiting to try to stop, you know, back in the day, let's say 10 years ago, you're trying to recruit people that could stop Mike Leach's little fast, small, um, in and out wide receivers. And, and so if you had a 6-3 safety they might not be able to cover some of the the Michael Crabtree and some of those guys, you know what I'm saying? Like there was some stylistic recruiting of secondaries because of the style of wide receivers they're being asked to cover in the big 12. So there's that. But I do think that this year, I don't think big 12 offenses are great this year. You know, you look at Oklahoma state, I think they're only averaging like 28 points per game. Oklahoma is getting a little bit better edging up towards 40 something, 
you know, in years past, you look at Oklahoma, they're averaging 50 points a game. Oklahoma State, 52 points a game. I think scoring across the board in the Big 12 is down this year, but I don't necessarily think it's because it's great defense. I just think this isn't a great offensive year from what I've seen in person. I've covered two Big 12 games so far this season. I just saw Texas and West Virginia in person. I I just don't think people are really spinning it. Like, I, I don't think that everybody's clicking. And I just think the offenses are a little bit behind. And I credit it to the pandemic of trying to install systems and offense and gain rhythm and timing on Zoom. Like, I, I just think people are behind that. That chemistry and that gel is not happening r- right now, I don't think. Yeah, uh, that, that's definitely a really good point. And, you know, a guy we talked about a lot, heading into the season was Spencer Sanders. And we, we were so curious as to what Oklahoma State was going to get from him. And he has been spectacular at moments this season. And then just, I don't want to say awful, maybe that's too harsh, but he, he has made some bad decisions with the football. Now, you and I have talked about it. A lot of people are talking about Chuba Hubbard, how he is not playing maybe as well as people thought. Same goes for Spencer Sanders and that Oklahoma State offense as a whole, but isn't the problem for Oklahoma State's offense, it all starts with their offensive line, right? You, you are singing music to my ears. Teddy is going to go into a coma right now if you and I start <laughs> talking about. So, Teddy, you don't know me well, but I'm obsessed with offensive line play, which is why Gabe and I get along so well. And it, everybody started out the season criticizing Chuba, and, and now they're criticizing Spencer Sanders. And I feel like we're over in the corner jumping up and down, like their offensive line has lost four guys. Like the entire right side of the line got hurt after the first week. Um, This has been a rebuilt makeshift offensive line. And I think it's showing up for Oklahoma state. Um, I know that you are super hard on Spencer Sanders, but I wanted to challenge you with one stat and tell you what, tell me what you think of this. And Teddy, you chime in here too. So Gabe is really hard on Spencer Sanders. He's completing – okay, guess, guess what is Spencer Rattler's completion percentage? Uh, a mid-60s? I'd say 70, 69, 68 and a half. Right, like 68 and a half. Guess what Spencer Sanders is? The same? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm Just guessing. Just about. Yeah. 67 point something. So he's not far off of what Spencer Rattler's doing. Now, listen, he's played in a, a lot less games – And the problem that Gabe hates is that he's got three interceptions to five touchdowns. So that ratio is not good, obviously. Um, But I think they have a ton of problems up front and everything you can talk about going wrong with their offense this year starts up front. That's not sexy. People don't like to hear that excuse, but they have really been decimated by injury up front. Well, I, I think a a similar situation and I think I think Spencer Sanders has, you know, he's had a, a a bunch of people expect him to take some big leap this year, and I don't think he's taken a leap. I think what we've seen is about what we saw last year from him. Um, so I mean, the leap's not there now. I think an interesting case is Brock Purdy. Got led the Big Twelve in passing a year ago. All right, twenty-seven touchdowns, nine interceptions, I believe. And right now, I think he's like 10 touchdowns to seven interceptions. And I, you can't blame that one on offensive line. 
you, he's got a running back that's already over a thousand yards. Now maybe they're not protecting great, but he has just been careless with the football. He's to me right now, quarterback wise in the big 12, I think, even though Sanders didn't take that next step, at least not yet, I feel like Brock Purdy's the disappointment. I think in some respects, but I think they had, Gabe, you correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they have four new offensive linemen this year? Yeah, lost a ton of guys from last yeah, year. So, I mean, I know we don't, I know that's not sexy to blame the offensive line, but I think it's a reality. But the one thing that um, I see in Brock Purdy is he reminds me of a kid that could get away with certain things in high school. And he is still doing those things. Like he does stuff that I'm like, no, 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 no. That, that doesn't work in the big 12. Um, I've seen Spencer Rattler do some of that this year, but that's expected. This is his first year playing. I think what frustrates me about that with Brock Purdy is this is his third year as a starter. He shouldn't be doing these things. He knows better. And, you know, listen, it's easy for us to sit and criticize. We don't have a a rush in our face, but um, I, I agree. I thought, that we we just keep assuming these kids will take a step forward. I think this is a really bizarre year that kids are just trying to maintain and keep their head above water. I think COVID was hard. I think being away from practice in spring and um, getting a real experience, I, I, I don't think anything's normal for these kids right now. And so I don't think it's a normal year where we would have seen kids take a huge leap forward. I think in almost every case, every team that I've seen in person, they're the same or worse. Like that's just reality, except for Boston college, they've taken a big step forward. That team is much better than last year. You were just in Austin uh, for Texas, West Virginia, and you know, Texas gets that win and you look at the big 12 race and the Longhorns all of a sudden kind of controlled their own destiny. They still have K state. They still have Iowa state. So what did you see? when you were watching Texas because it seems like they're playing a little better defensively. Uh, Ellinger didn't look great, but maybe they found their guy at running back and B. John Robinson. Just what did you think of seeing the Longhorns in person? So I, I don't want to offend every anyone on the Oklahoma breakdown because I know this is an Oklahoma show, but if you were to line up the Sooners and line up the Longhorns, I think on the hoof, the Longhorns look better. Like, I don't know what you guys thought from being there in person and seeing them during the – I know you were there on the on the field game during that um, Cotton Bowl Red River shootout, but I think Texas looks good. They have guys. I mean, they have talent. I think they're probably missing some high-end wide receivers right now. I think they lost a lot last year, and they, they are small at wide receiver. I remember looking at their wide receivers as they walked out onto the field one time, and I was like – you know, they, they're missing like three, six, two guys that can go out there and, and be a mismatch problem with shorter DBs in this conference. But they look good. I mean, they've got guys. Now it's just getting those guys to play to their capability. And um, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I really think Iowa State is going to make it because I think they're a good team. And I do believe in Brees Hall and what he brings to the table and that defense. I think Jaquan Bailey is a guy that we're not talking about enough in this conference, me included. Um, he impacts games in so many ways, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's Texas, Oklahoma in the big 12 championship game. And it's another knockdown drag out. I mean, they Oklahoma won that game in four overtimes by the skin of their teeth. And um, 
that that could go anyway. Like Texas is just on the brink, on the edge of getting it together. I don't know if they will. Um, I think that Sam Ellinger might be more banged up than they're letting on, but they have a bye week to get things right and we'll see how they close out the season. I laugh that, you know, everyone is, you know, already fired Tom Herman and they're on to something else, but Texas is two plays away from being undefeated right now. You hold on to the football going into the end zone there against TCU. And I think if they go for two against Oklahoma, they probably win that game there, there at the end. So they're two plays away. But you, you touched on something earlier I want to circle back to, um, talking about the, the pandemic and how it stunted the growth of, of some of these, these players and these teams. And just from your experience talking to players and talking to coaches, because we all talk about the players and how hard it is for those guys, and yes, it is, but the coaches and what they've been through in putting in all this work and then missing games and then canceling games and your starters are out, like who's handling it the best and who's handling it the worst between the players and the coaches? Ooh, that is such a great question. You know, um, the, the kids I've talked to, what's really hard for players is they are lacking, and, and I feel it a little bit with my own football crew, lacking this human connection and this energy you get from being around other people. So you, you have to be pretty isolated and you aren't um, hanging out and being social and doing team meals and team dinners there is this isolation to college football this season that is weird. And, you know, it's like I, I show up at a game and I haven't seen anybody on my crew in person. I've gone several weeks and not seen my analyst, Greg McElroy in person because he's up in the booth. Um, and Joe Tessitore, our play-by-play guy. So I feel this void of human connection and the energy that you normally get interacting with each other that's real for the teams. I, I think it is absolutely real for the teams. And you guys have both been in locker rooms and you know how it is when, when it's fun and it's, uh, you, you get better together. And with your time being so limited where you can actually be together, I just think it's really hard. Okay. So, you know, this week has been a rough week, right? For game cancellations. Are, are you worried at all? Because I, we've talked about it a lot. Are you worried at all about this season finishing out? Do you think that maybe they're going to have to push some dates back when it comes to the college football playoff? You know the TV side way better than I do from that standpoint. Like, could we see some things have to get pushed? Or do you think that these teams are just going to keep working through all these disruptions? I think it's both things. I think teams are going to try to continue working through these disruptions, but I think that things could really go wrong. So what if we get to the week of the SEC championship game and they have to cancel that because teams have COVID issues? Like, like think about that. We've seen four SEC teams cancel games this week. What if we get to the big 10 championship game and that game is postponed or canceled? Um, I I just think there's so many scenarios. Like they have to have an alternate team if someone has to pull out? We haven't even talked about that. That's a great call. I I literally haven't even thought about that, Teddy. That's a great call. What are we going to do if a playoff game is canceled? And so I feel like we're holding firm to these dates, and we have to for January 1st and 11th, because I know in my ESPN world, like come hell or high water, they're moving off those dates because buildings are reserved. 
you, you know, so much goes around these college football playoffs. So I doubt they would move off of those dates, but that could mean teams are disqualified because they can't play. Like, let's just play this scenario out. What if a team can't play the big 10 championship game? And so the third place team gets to take over because that team can't go, you know, we, we could see an Ohio state or a Wisconsin or somebody disqualified in some bizarre way. I mean, I just think anything's possible and I don't want to be that alarmist, but this week has shaken me a little bit. We have a lot of big games canceled and I think we're in for a bumpy ride just because the rise of the virus in all of these communities is significant. I'll tell you what's interesting. You know, if we have a college football playoff team that can't go and someone else gets to fill in, I honestly think that the college football would take that in stride. Like right now we've got uh, how many games postponed or canceled this weekend? Six, eight, at least six. Up to yeah, eight, six or eight now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, well, we'll watch the masters. If you last year, if you would have talked about eight games being canceled, Alabama, LSU being canceled, it would have been like mass hysteria. No one would have even known what to do. But now it's like, oh, okay, well, let's watch, you know, whoever else that weekend. It's like what we have grown accustomed to this year is, like, amazing. And that's what I'm saying. Like, college football playoff would be like, oh, well, too bad, Ohio State. I guess we're on to Oregon or whoever else. It's It's been weird that way that we've we've taken it all in stride once we got going. You know, it's such a great call that you said that because in, in the real world, how we used to think – if Alabama LSU got postponed, this has been the game of the year in the SEC for 10, ever since Nick Saban got to Alabama. What's that, 15 years, 13 years? So I think it is bizarre that we're just kind of taking it in stride. Like, that is bizarre. You are absolutely right. Like, oh, yeah, okay, Alabama LSU, it's canceled. Let's, uh, you know, what else? When are they going to, can they reschedule? Okay, whatever. It's epic. It's huge. It's a big deal. Um, but, but this year, I think what we've learned is nothing's normal. And the more we expect normal, the more disappointed we'll be in life. So, um, keep it in stride. We're going to go to the games and and play the games we can. And that's all we can do. Yeah. Now, Holly, I, I do think that, you know, what has happened this week has stressed some college football fans out. So uh, I'm trying to bring some positivity to this episode in particular. Did you so, bring wine? Is that what you? Is that well? What you know, you know why I always have gift? wine. You, you know, I always have wine on my person. Uh, there, it's never too far away. But I did, I did want you to share the prayer circle story that you told me earlier this week because I just think that it'll be good for some people to hear, and it's. I, I just thought it was really cool. Okay. Teddy, bear with me because you're going to think this is weird, but it was really precious. So I, I did a speaking engagement this week in a, in a town called Anniston, Alabama. And as I was driving there, I was like, Holly, what are you doing? It's a pandemic. Why are you doing a speaking engagement? And I had, you know, kind of a negative attitude, like, what are you doing? So I get there and it's a small community. There's about 80 people. And it was lovely, just very sweet, kind, nice people. So at the end of my speech, they have a period of Q&A and a few people ask questions we go along and this this man stands up and his voice is wavering and he's really shy about it and he said never done this before and I, I I don't I can't believe I'm saying this in public but 
God's put it on my heart and I just have a feeling that I need to pray over you. And would you allow me to pray over you? And, you know, the whole room kind of is looking around like, what? You know, because it's very out of character for this man and nothing like this has ever happened before at this touchdown club. You know, we're talking football. So I walk up and I stand in the center of the room and they pray over me. He says a prayer and everyone bows their head and they pray over me. And it, it's just beautiful. And I start crying and, and he just blesses, you know, blesses me. So the next morning I'm driving to my next speaking engagement and my phone rings and, you know, I, I kind of wondered, like, I wonder what's in store for me. Like, why is, why is God putting that on him? You know, why is he worried about me? And I get a phone call from my oncologist and I had just had my scans um, in New York city, but I didn't know the results yet. And I'd been really stressed about it because it was the first time I'd gone six months without a scan to see if my cancer had returned. And the oncologist called to tell me that my scans were clear. And I just thought it was really special because that man in Anniston, Alabama, doesn't know me, didn't know me, didn't know that I'd had scans, didn't know how scared and stressed out I've been about what's happening inside my body. And um, just having strangers pray over you, I, I just, it was really special and strange and wonderful. And, um, and I thank them greatly. That's awesome. That's pretty cool, man. That's, that's amazing. I love we it. need more stories like that in 2020. Yeah. Yes, we do. Wow. That's cool. Oh, I see. It was refreshing to hear the story again. It's still, <laughs> it still, it makes me happy. It's just like, we've had such a long year. There's been such high highs and low lows and just hearing stuff like that, it, it puts people in a good mood. I know it puts me in a damn good mood when you tell that story. So, Holly Rowe, you are the best. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I've been, I've been secretly, you know, wanting to be on this show for a long time. I listen a lot. I'm proud of you guys for launching this podcast. I try to retweet you and support you every chance I get. Um, Teddy, I, I guess you're okay. So I guess I'll quit feeling jealous that you get to do a show with Gabe twice a week. But um, I've got bad I news for okay. you, though. You you did so good. Gabe's going to be bugging you to come back on, and you're going to be busy, and you're going to oh, have a ton of stuff to do, and it, he's going to keep hitting you up. That's in the offseason? Whenever you do such a good performance. In the offseason? Hey, I'm here. You got me. Joe Castiglione once told me that I um, earned an honorary letter from Oklahoma. He, he literally said that to me because I've covered so many Oklahoma events, whether it's gymnastics, softball, women's basketball, men's basketball, football. So um, I, I think that I could be part of your Oklahoma breakdown. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you. Love it. Be careful what you say. <laughs> Thanks, Holly. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, that was a good interview. Loved it. Loved it. Hit all. I mean, we covered everything in the Big 12. We covered all kinds of stuff. That was great. What do you think it's like having that many people like you? Well, people kind of like you. I think it's been documented this year that people really like you, Teddy, especially oh, in me? Lubbock. Oh, well, <laughs> right. Other than my family, I think I can count the people that like me, and I'm not even sure about my family. I'm just defaulting them. I can count the people that like me on one hand. I mean, that's – I have no idea what it's like to be um, as loved, as uh, adored as her. It's 
kudos to her. Great job. And deserved. Yeah. Must be nice. Must be nice. But she's also pretty great. So I guess she deserves it. All right, Ted, let's move on to the National College Football Roundup. That's brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too if your business wants to be best-in-class. Connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Okay, few pieces of college football news. Uh, We talked about it with Holly, but four of the seven games – in the SEC have been postponed. Georgia, Missouri, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Auburn, Mississippi State. And Teddy, the SEC is running into a bit of an issue, right? And you look at LSU in particular. They've already had a game postponed. They are supposed to play Florida on December 12th. So they cannot play Alabama then. And everyone is anticipating Alabama playing in the SEC championship game. Now, Greg Sankey talked about it a little bit today, and I think they may be flexible with prioritizing games that will dictate what happens in these divisional races in the SEC. But things are getting a little iffy down there. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. You know, you you put in a couple of of bye weeks there to hopefully move some things around if teams miss games early on. You didn't expect teams to miss games early on, play and then miss games late. You you hope that you'd be able to to figure it out. And that's that's interesting with LSU. You know, you remember when they got shut down early on you know, and I'm talking about way back whenever they first reported back to school and they had to shut down their off-season workout program, like all that was mainly for contact tracing. You know, it, it kind of makes you wonder a little bit, like had that not been shut down and some of those guys, uh, you know, got the virus, that would they not have to uh, be hammered so so bad so late but I don't know it's too late to worry about any of that stuff I just hope that they're able to to finish this thing out and come to a decent conclusion in the SEC because it was really starting to heat up with a bunch of really good football games coming up down the stretch and here's the thing man and we saw this from Wisconsin although the Big Ten protocols are a little bit more difficult like once it hits you because of the time uh, that guys have to stay quarantined or have to have for the virus to pass, I mean, it's not necessarily just a one-week deal. I mean, this could hit you for two or even three weeks. Yeah. Um, Hopefully it doesn't happen now. There's probably some people in that LSU program that aren't terribly upset 
no that doubt. they're not playing Bama this weekend because no I don't think that doubt. was going to go well <laughs> for the Tigers. No, it's they have been. I guess Miles Brennan's done for the season. He's not going right. to come back, so it's not been a good year for them. Which no one expected them to be anywhere close to what they were last year. But I don't think we expected what we've seen so far. Yeah. Okay. One other piece of news: Ohio State, Maryland has been canceled due to a COVID issue with Maryland, and uh, I did not misspeak. It's canceled, not postponed. Remember the way that the Big Ten's doing things without bye weeks. That that game is gone. Poof. And it, it gets Ohio State in an interesting position because, remember, this is an issue with Maryland, right? So you're dropping this game. And we've already seen this with Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin is living dangerously now. They had to miss the two games because of their COVID issues. And now they're kind of at the mercy of their opponents, right? Mm-hmm. When it talked about getting to that six-game threshold that the Big Ten has you know, made part of the rules for qualifying for the Big Ten championship game, what happens if something happens to Ohio State? That is now my big fear with this game being canceled because I think we'd all agree, right? Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. They are fun to watch. But now this is kind of a slippery slope for Ryan Day and his group because this one was canceled because of Maryland. They cannot have a COVID issue in that locker room because then they will be flirting with not playing enough games to qualify. And then – I don't know what happens in the Big Ten. Then all hell breaks loose. Indiana, baby. Here we go. Big Ten championship. I mean, there may not be anyone left uh, to play Indiana by the end of this thing. And, you know, obviously we all joked and, you know, whenever the Big Ten announced their plan of coming back that, like, you're setting yourselves up to fail by waiting so long to come back and then having your protocols so difficult that once you do have an issue to be able to get back out on the field and they're living that out right now. I just hope that for everyone's sake that these teams can get this thing passed, get it handled. And I mean, if worse comes to worse, they're going to have to go out on the field with not a very deep roster at all. You know, like they're going to be marching out there incredibly thin at a bunch of different positions and maybe have guys playing out of position. Yeah. Um, One other quick note. Journey Brown, the running back from Penn State, that, you know, it was – it looked like he was going to miss the year. Turns out he he goes and gets a second opinion. Uh, He is going to have to stop playing football because of a heart issue and I I just hate it for that kid because this is a guy that I've had some conversations when when that happened I reached out to some guys that you know cover the NFL draft you know film junkies right you know guys that have worked in front offices and some guys had a first round grade on this guy and it when I saw that news today and he put something out there on Twitter and football's not everything Right. But mm-hmm. when a guy that has that type of talent, you know, could have been a first round, second round draft pick, could have made life altering money. It just, it, it's not everything, but it sucks, man. It, I, I, 
I feel terrible for that kid. Yeah, that's brutal. Um, it's not everything, but whenever you're 21 years old, 22 years old, and it's all you've ever done, it's hard to realize that it's not everything. You know, it's like whenever someone says it's not everything, you're like, wait a second, what, what are you talking about? Yes, it is everything. That's everything that I've always done. So um, I hate that for the guy, but, you know, hey, he's at a, he's at a great school and – He's, he's already got a good start to life there. Um, so hopefully he figures out something that he's talented at. Yeah. Journey Brown, may I interest you in a random man in, An- what'd she say, Aniston, Alabama? Right. Yes, there he's you go. He's got a hell of a prayer circle. I'm just saying. I'm just hey, saying. and you know what? I know it's, you just, you never know. I mean, we were kind of told the same thing about Max Duggan, that he may never play football again, and he missed like three weeks. You know, so and he's out there running for 80 yard touchdowns like a blur. I know first he's never going to play again. And then he's going to have to have surgery. That's, you know, he's going to miss the whole year. And then it's like, no, nah, we'll just take a little laser in there and fix this thing. He'll be back by next week. It's, it's amazing. The things that can happen. So, uh, I don't know. Hopefully there's a situation like that for him. Yeah, we, we can, we can only hope, but it doesn't sound like, from the letter he put, you know, kind of the thing he pinned, uh, he's retiring due to a heart condition, and we wish Journey Brown the absolute best. All right, Ted, let's preview some of the games this weekend. And to say it's not the best slate we've ever seen is a bit of an understatement. It's okay, people. It's it's not great. It is. It's not great. But let's touch on just a couple of them. Um, so we've got number 13, Wisconsin. Hey, they're back, and they're going to Michigan. And the big question about this football game, Ted, is, is Graham Mertz going to play? Because it doesn't sound like he's back on the practice field yet. He is still in the protocol, and now when you look at the timeline, he should be able to play on the, in the game on Saturday, but what, does he just get to practice for like one or two days and then play in the game? Like – I, how bad is Vanden Boob, right? <laughs> um, I had a little birdie tell me that Mertz is starting on Saturday. So there you go. He's going to start. Now, um, how polished is he going to be after having to sit out so long? I don't know, but he's going to start in the football game. Uh, they missed eight days of practice over this whole uh, ordeal. Started back on Friday, and they feel like they're they're in pretty good shape. And mainly, it was some attrition at some some other positions, like uh, kind of depth issues and stuff like that. So they feel pretty good about where they're at now. You know, they've only played one game, so I. It, it's hard to say. Was that just one game? Everything, we came out, everything clicked. Illinois, you know, wasn't ready to play. Or were they? A, are they a legit football team that's going to go pound Michigan in Ann Arbor? I don't know. I can't tell you. I know Mertz looked great in that, that Friday night matchup when he dropped five touchdowns, something crazy like that. And, uh, you know, he's he's got some he's got some gunslinger to him. He'll take some chances. But I think Wisconsin feels pretty good about where they sit with their football team. The most 2020 thing ever 
would be for Michigan to just thump Wisconsin in this game. I know it. I know it. I mean, nothing would shock me. No result would shock me because, I mean, here's the thing. Michigan looked pretty daggum good in their opener. I mean, right? Milton looked good. Their defense was all over the place. And then whatever happened from there, I can't tell you what, when, where, why, or how, but it all went bad. So I I would take Wisconsin in this deal. I feel like there's got to be some uh, a little bit of hardball losing that locker room some, right, with the way things have gone. You would think this is kind of like the last stand for them. I mean, when you look at that game against Indiana, like Indiana led the entire football game. Like it it wasn't one of those games where Indiana beats Michigan and some weird things happened. No, it was a thorough ass kicking. Right. From when they kicked the ball off to when the final horn sounded like it, it was not even really close. Yeah. Look That's out whatever be... you give a team like Indiana. I mean, they've got some talent on that squad. Look out whatever all of a sudden you get a little bit of confidence. Yeah, and they'll be trying to stay undefeated. And I 100% forgot that Holly was – she's in Detroit covering that game, and we I didn't even ask her about Indiana because I'm a moron. But I do like the Hoosiers against the Spartans in that game. I think Mill Tucker in that group still trying to figure some things well, they out. Did now, bounce back and look all right. Yeah, no doubt. But we also we we've got an interesting one with Arkansas traveling to number six Florida, and, and I am labeling this as the Felipe Franks revenge game. Now there's another interesting wrinkle to this, right? No Sam Pittman on the sidelines for the Razorbacks. He tested positive for COVID nineteen. Cannot be on the sidelines for his team on Saturday. And then we did see Kyle Pitts take that massive shot. And I I cannot imagine he plays in this football game. And I don't think that offense is nearly as potent without that guy. I, I really don't. So with what we've seen from Arkansas, with how scrappy they've been, like I wouldn't be shocked if this game is a little closer than people may think it'll be. Yeah, I mean... Florida, they just kind of have that feeling, right, that when everything's going good, they're really good, but in no way are they bulletproof. You know, like Alabama or um, Ohio State, if the offense isn't clicking, you feel like they're so good defensively that they're going to be able to hang around and there's going to be enough time for them, their offense to finally get it in gear and their, their defenses will help that and, and, you know, give them time or make some big plays, get them some turnovers with Florida. I mean, they're not one of those bulletproof teams and you feel like if, if Arkansas can get some things going and, and, you know, play some good defense, force some turnovers, have a couple of bounces go their way that they could be right there in the end. I mean, I'll take Florida in this one, and it's one of those where it could either be a close game where Arkansas's hanging around at the end or Florida absolutely just routes them. I mean, I don't know. I don't see Arkansas winning the game, though. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I think that Florida's playing some good football right now, but 
I do think that Arkansas is a tough out. I mean, they've got those kids playing hard. That's a physical team. That defense has got some really talented players. So we'll see. Okay, Ted, another game, number two, Notre Dame is in the classic letdown spot, right? Playing Boston College, and it's the Red Bandana game for Boston College. So uh, they tend to be pretty pretty feisty when when that whole deal is going on, and that's a great story about Wells Crowther. If if you don't know about the Red Bandana game, give it give it a Google. It's it's really 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 cool, but kind of a dangerous spot for the Irish, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I I feel like of all the teams that are kind of up there in the running, that Notre Dame is the most vulnerable. We've seen them offensively just not be able to get anything done, really stall out, have a hard time scoring points. I mean, I think, I think they've got a lot of really good players and feel like they're, they're kind of starting to hit their stride. But, I mean, it's a, it's a decent Boston College team. They're 5-3 and three right now. Uh, they lost a really tight one to North Carolina earlier in the year. Now, the, the Shockers, the Virginia Tech game, they got blown out there. But uh, they almost won that Clemson game. They were up on Clemson for a good portion of that football game. Uh, so this is a game Boston College team. I mean, I'll take Notre Dame to win. I feel like they're going to they're gonna be focused. They're going to – I mean, their quarterback – or quarterback. Their head coach is not one that typically uh, lets stuff fly. You know, he's kind of a – Kind of a bit of a hard ass, so I think he's going to be on those guys for no let up. But it is a fascinating one, don't you think? Of all the teams, kind of right there vying for a playoff, that Notre Dame's the one that you feel like would would be most likely for a hiccup. Yeah, with some of the performances they had early in the year, right? You mentioned kind of their inability to score points at times. Now, would they put up like twelve against Louisville or something like that? Yeah, and I, I think they you probably gain a ton of confidence, right, with that Clemson win. But it is the Phil Jerkovic revenge game, right, that quarterback. He's he's been pretty good. I mean, Jerkovic's been pretty good for Boston College. So we'll see, but a a dangerous spot for Brian Kelly in that that fighting Irish squad after a massive win. Um, Some other interesting games, I guess what? Uh, number 19 SMU going to Tulsa to take on the Golden Hurricane. And, Teddy, remember, and this happened with the K-State-West Virginia game, remember, where we looked at the line and we were like, wait, huh? (laughs) Right. And Tulsa is favored by two and a half at home against SMU. And I – I hope Tulsa wins. I want them to win. Clearly, that would be tremendous. That would be awesome. But SMU's played so many more games. Like Shea Bouchelle, that offense, they've been throwing it all around. Now I know that SMU's not undefeated anymore or anything like that, but Tulsa favored by two and a half. I mean, Tulsa is three and one right now. Uh, they got that big win against Central Florida that was great, owned that football game. And honestly, should have beat Oklahoma State early on. Now, whenever we first saw that game, it's like, oh, Oklahoma State's terrible. Well, it turns out that 
Tulsa's actually a pretty good football team. So I don't know, man. With all the, the postponed games that they've had, it's been hard for them to get in any rhythm, have any, any continuity. So, I mean, I'll take SMU to win, but, I mean, I clearly want Tulsa to win. Maybe they win this football game, man. I, I don't know. I, that's the best way to put it. I don't know. Like, what's Zach Smith going to do? I don't know. We'll I mean, see. I like Tulsa's defense. I think their defense is, is pretty stout. Now, SMU can obviously throw the football all over the field, but, I mean, Central Florida's got one of the best offenses in all of college football like the last three or four years, and they didn't have any problem. I mean, they gave up some points to Central Florida, but it's not like they looked out of place against that high power of an offense. So, hey, maybe Tulsa does win this thing. I was shocked to see them favored by two and a half, though. Yeah, I hope they win. I'm, I'm going to watch that game. I know uh, I say it all the time, but that is a hell of a conference. That is a great conference with good coaches, good talent, and really fun competitive football games. I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the American has been a ton of fun this year, and it's only going to get better, right, with things yeah. winding down with Cincinnati. So – should be interesting. Okay, now follow me on this because there is one game that has my attention and it does not sound like a sexy football game until you kind of take a deeper dive into it. Northwestern at Purdue. Yes, I said it. Northwestern wow. at Purdue, Teddy. This feels like a game that should kick off at 11 a.m. Central Time, and everyone looks freezing in the stands. It's one of those Big Ten games. But did you realize this one's got pretty big implications in the Big Ten West? Peyton Ramsey playing some decent football for Northwestern. Oh, yeah, and Northwestern's undefeated. They're 3-0. Purdue is 2-0. Now, they've also got – Purdue does. They've got one of the best wide receivers in all of college football that people have probably never heard of. That kid's name is David Bell. He is a player. Oh, so it is a – I thought it was going to – when you said Northwestern or Purdue, I thought it was like maybe a debate uh, matchup or something. Those actual football. You're talking about the football game. Okay. I, I'm talking about nerds playing nerds, <laughs> Teddy. And, but just hear me out. With Wisconsin's situation being so fragile, remember, if something happens to Wisconsin, someone else is going to be the representative out of the Big Ten West. Like I think Wisconsin's the best team in that division – but this game could end up being huge in the Big Ten race. And it's not like we haven't seen Pat Fitzgerald get his group to the Big Ten championship game before. So I'm keeping an eye on this. What should we call it? The Battle of the Nerds? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's as good as well, any. The, I mean, are Purdue – I know Purdue's a really good school, like engineering school, all that stuff, but – I feel like Battle of the Nerds has to have Stanford in it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's the Battle of the Alternates, I guess, you know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> whoever wins could be the alternate for the, for the Big Ten Championship game. I mean, there you go. No, but Perfect. that is, I mean, that is interesting. And there's, there's a lot of games this year that because of the year, because of how weird everything's been, 
that maybe it's not your your typical big names in college football, but because the way things have unfolded, I mean, and that I, I think like the the top of college football isn't as good because of the lack of practice. So I think everyone's a little bit closer together, a little more competitive this year. And you just, it's been one of the more unpredictable years we've seen. Yeah. All right, Ted, let's move on to our segments and let's start with our winners and losers of the week. And Teddy's winners and losers are brought to you by advanced weight loss clinic of sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic at Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection all right ted who do you have as your winner of the week golf fans we got the masters in november it's the greatest thing ever and it lines up with a uh, an off week bye week idle week whatever the heck you want to call it for oklahoma the timing could not have been better it just a little bit of a tease gabe eichert to get your your blood pumping on the masters did you see that hole in one by john rom one of the most okay, so people are like, that's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. One of the most infuriating clips I've ever watched. This dude can bounce it across the damn water and get a hole in one and make it look so easy. And the rest of us are just out there struggling, trying to even just get the ball up in the air. And he skipped it across the water like the golf ball was walking on the damn water like he was Jesus or something. And I'm over there watching it going, Ugh. It's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, now, I will say, I have skipped a ball off of the pond on number two at the trails and got it to within about a foot of the pin. However, it was not on purpose. So, <laughs> you know, I mean – I will take it, though. Uh, you know, whenever you hit a horrible shot and somehow you get a birdie out of it, I'll take it. But that was incredible. I mean, I, it would take me forever to even be able to, to blade one like that to get it to skip even anywhere over the water. So that was, I thought that was awesome. And just a little primer for what's to come this weekend. It's, it's going to be fantastic. And we're going to wet the beak with some master's odds too, Teddy. So yes. I, I knew you'd want to do that. So that's coming for you, big guy. Don't worry. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson said in an interview today on the Rich Eisen show that their offense is too predictable, that defenses know what's coming, they're out there in the game, and defenses are calling out what's about to come up, what play they're about to run. And I, this is a amateur move to me from Lamar Jackson. I mean, on a national road, it's not like, not like Rich. It's not like it's your buddy from back home's podcast, Rich Eisen show. You're essentially calling out your offensive coordinator that. Your offense is too simple, too predictable, and defenses know exactly what's coming. Well, I've got a little bit of a newsflash. If your offense 
is predictable and simple and defenses know what's coming, it's typically because the quarterback can't handle any more on his plate, right? So I am shocked that he would say something like this. I mean, the other thing is like, these are professionals. What do you think those defensive guys do? You think like during the week of practice, they just sit over there and tackle each other, twiddle their thumbs. Like they don't study your offense for however many hours a day and look at everything that you've done and try and put a game plan together. Yeah, they know it's coming. They've watched every single ball you've thrown all year. That's what defenses in the NFL do. I just I couldn't believe that he would say something like that. On Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be all that shocked, but I just I thought it was a pretty bad move by Lamar Jackson. Yeah, especially when Greg Roman is widely considered right now with what he's doing, with how diverse he's been, with that scheme with them. Like, he's considered one of the best offensive coordinators in the league, probably. I mean, with yep. the creativity. And I, I, I play for Giro and – it was like learning a new playbook every single week. I mean, it it was difficult playing for him, but also the Ravens are six and two. <laughs> right. Like it's not, it, it's not like they're uh, like a terrible football team. Like and they, Lamar Jackson, same guy. You won the MVP last year with that guy called the place. Yeah. I think it's probably, you know, I mean, Lamar Jackson's having a down year. You know, he, he's, he hasn't thrown for all that many yards. He's complete like 62, 63% per, uh, of his passes. I think he only has like 12. He's got 12 touchdowns, four interceptions on the year. I think that the production and, – and this happens in the NFL. We've seen guys like Lamar Jackson come in where the league catches up to him. They figure out, you know, what they do. They have a little bit of a tail – um, you know, he's probably more of a one read type of guy than, than some of the other passers in, in the NFL. So defense are, are really starting to dial in on what he does. But I mean, I think he's just frustrated that his numbers aren't there. Like it's, it's, they're six and two. Like, and, I, I and their two the losses are to the chiefs and the Steelers. Steelers. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was fascinated by that. I don't know why he would do that. Um, I don't know. Maybe they don't take. Maybe you know Greg Roma. Was he? Would he take that as an insult? G Rose, one of the weirdest dudes I've ever met. He's probably like, eh, whatever. <laughs> He's probably, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe it was. Well, I'm gonna, weird. I'm gonna keep calling the plays the same way. So, hey, how about you figure out how to throw the ball a little better? <laughs> yeah, It'll, I don't know. I thought it was crazy. Yeah, when you're the leader of the football team, that's, uh, that's definitely on. All right, my winners and losers are brought to you by Sound Advice. A lot of us are watching our favorite football teams from home this year, which is why you need to get ready for game day with a home theater system from our friends at Sound Advice. Sound Advice can customize your home entertainment system indoors or outdoors. Sound Advice did the Wi-Fi network and all the audio visual at my new house, and it is awesome. They hide all the wires in the cable boxes so it looks great, and I can control every TV in my house from my phone, and my internet has been flawless. My internet issues are not sound advice issues. I want to make that very clear. For the best home theater system in the Oklahoma City area, call Sound Advice at 405-549-3880 or visit soundadviceokc.com. All right, to my winner of the week. Now, I thought about going with vegans. Yeah, you heard me, vegans. Because McDonald's 
comes out and says they are getting into the plant-based food game. And I think they're calling it McPlant, which is hilarious. But I mean, but can we I, get over the McPlant? Like, every single food that they come out with, they're going to name it something like like the McRib. Or hey, the, they've got their formula. They're sticking to it, man. But Boy, that, can't you just imagine that meeting that, that creative meeting where everyone's sitting around, okay, what can we call it? And they settle on the McPlant, you know, whatever. I, what are we I, even doing? See, that's why I didn't make it my winner of the week because I knew that that would uh, lead to uh, some interesting conversations <laughs> with you. I know, I know how you feel about the vegans. So uh, I'm going to go with the feel good story. And uh, once again, I feel like we need some positivity right now. Some of the things have been going on and my winner of the week buffalo bills fans because josh allen their starting quarterback who is playing some pretty damn good football for them his grandmother passed away right very close to his grandmother and bills fans donated to oshai children's hospital and the hospital created a button on the website right so they're donating in Josh Allen's grandmother's honor, right? And they created this little button where you could just hammer it. It was $17, right? He's number 17. And, well, Bills fans smashed that thing because currently that children's hospital has raised more than $300,000 from this campaign. Wow. That's impressive. That is now the bills have done stuff like this before, right? You know, and it it is great, but that was just such a cool story for me. I was just like, you know what? That's really cool. Way to go bills fans. I was, I was a member of that organization twice and those people were great, but donated that amount of money because your quarterback lost his grandma to a great cause, right? The children's hospital. That is the content I crave. Just when you think that Bills fans are the lowest denominator of society, uh, whether it's, what is it, the Bills Mafia uh, jumping off of stuff and trying to kill each other in the parking lot. Set each um, other on fire every once in a while. Set each other on fire, passed out drunk, fights in the stands, throwing sex toys onto the field of play. (laughs) <laughs> Just whenever you think that a fan base could not be any worse, they go and do something like this and totally redeem themselves. Hats off. That's awesome stuff. That's, that's over 17,500 donations of 17 bucks. That's awesome. Look at you and your math. I thought this was Calculate. a no math podcast. God, look at the big brain on you. Calculator. No, I, I cannot take credit for that. All right, my loser of the week. Now, I thought about going with the Houston Rockets because it doesn't sound like Harden is very happy and Shams comes out with the report, right? Westbrook wants out of Houston. (laughs) So, I mean, it depends how you look at it. I mean, they're about to free up about $80 million in contracts from those two guys. Yeah, and if I'm not going to win it, then, you know, fine. And it sounds like Tillman Fertitta needs all the uh, financial help he can get with what's going on with the restaurant industry right now. But so uh, I was going to go with them, but then I saw something and I was like, oh, uh, those are the losers of the week. And 
it's got to be Christian McCaffrey owners in fantasy football because he got hurt late in that game against the Chiefs. By the way, that was a great game, but sounds like it's an AC joint dead in the shoulder. Sounds like he's unlikely to play this weekend against the Bucks. He has already missed those six games earlier in the season with the ankle. Just has to be heartbreaking for fantasy football people that have Christian McCaffrey. Now, we don't talk a lot of fantasy football on here, but this guy, he hasn't missed a single game. Hadn't missed a single game in his first three seasons. And now this is going to be his seventh missed game of the year. If only there was someone I knew that had Christian McCaffrey in fantasy football. It's just, it infuriates the hell out of me. I mean, I'm just, I'm struggling to survive. I mean, every week I'm, I'm releasing and claiming off waivers and trying to find any running back out there that could do anything. Just waiting for the fake ankle sprain to finally go away to where he can come back and find, Oh, Oh, wow. What do you know? We're actually winning some games. Maybe we don't just need to tank and have uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, with a phantom ankle injury miss eight and a half weeks or however long it was. Oh, now we'll miss with a phantom shoulder injury. I saw him on the sideline. The guy's fine again. He was fine again. God, it makes me so mad. It's unbelievable. Oh, that's weird. You can play with an AC. I played an entire season with a third-degree AC. Get out there and do it. How much is he making? Like $15 million a year or more than that? God. Oh, yeah. I forgot you had him on your fantasy football team. That's my bad. (laughs) I mean, the one year. The one year I get the first pick overall. I picked... Christian McCaffrey, here we go, baby. Let's go. Let's let's do this. Right out of the, gr- the gate, he's great, and then just not even real injuries, man. Conspiracy <laughs> theory. Well, not even real. I I can't add anything to that to make it any better. <laughs> so we're gonna move on. All right, Ted. Let's wet the beak. Wet the beak is brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you're looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all of your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new house. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. He's still helping us with when we have questions about things around the house. He's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the house of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. All right, Ted. A tradition unlike any other. The Masters is this week and weekend and this is going to be unlike any masters we've ever seen right instead of the first major of the year it's the last the course looks beautiful with the fall foliage but it's really weird 
seeing it without fans. And, and I can only imagine how weird of an atmosphere that's going to be for the golfers. But when, when you're talking about the course, it sounds like the weather is going to be pretty terrible throughout the entire week, right? They got a ton of rain today. They're supposed to get rain the rest of the week. And we'll see what that does to the conditions of a course that is already obviously very challenging, but I've heard some guys talk about, Hey, they're starting to see some browning on the greens. What could that mean for how, how guys approach some of those things. But with that forecast, this thing could get really, really interesting. And here's a look at the odds. We've got DeChambeau, at eight to one, Dustin Johnson and nine to one, John Rahm, who had that amazing holding one that you talked about. He's 11 to one, Justin Thomas, 12 to one, Rory, 14 to one, Xander Shuffle, 14 to one, uh, Kepka is 16 to one, and then Oklahoma State's own Matthew Wolf in his first Masters, 33 to one. He's actually got better odds than Tiger, that. who is 35 to one. And then Jordan Spieth is 40 to 1. And you can see, I believe, Ricky Fowler, 66 to 1. So I know you're our golf guy, but it seems like it seems like the number one question about this tournament is can Augusta National handle beefy Bryson? Right. And uh, I don't know. I would think that the rain is not a good thing for Bryson. Um, let's be honest. Whenever you – he says he try, he swings as hard as he possibly can at it. Whenever that happens, if you're hitting it straight, that's fantastic. But if you start to spray it a little bit, that could be a disaster. And especially if you're going to get into some rough where it's wet and it's just spinachy and – you can't get the ball out of there. You can't get any any spin or any bite on it at all. So I would think that the the rain is going to hurt DeChambeau quite a bit. I'm not going to take him. I mean, I know he's hitting the ball a million miles, but it's not like he's winning every single tournament out there. He's played well, and he can putt. I think this tournament's more about how well you putt than anything. So um, I do think that, that he's got a shot if, he's, if he can – you know, put four days together, hitting it straight with the driver. He's got as good a shot as anyone. Um, I My pick is, and it's probably stupid, but I like Rory McElroy at 14 to 1. Uh, I think those are good odds, good numbers. You get good value there. Uh, he hits it a million miles, too. If he can get the putter together, I mean, he plays this course really well. Uh, I like Rory. I like Wolf. I think if anyone is just confident enough to go out there in their first Masters and win the dadgum thing, it would be Matthew Wolf. He's playing really good golf right now. So I would put him on my list as, uh, and those are great odds 33 to 1, really good value there with him. And then I know he's the second favorite, but Dustin Johnson. If he can just stay away from the booze and not fall down the stairs, <laughs> I think he's got a shot at this one. 
he hits it long. He plays that fade quite a bit. Good putter. He's putted really well here here recently. So I would take Justin Johnson too. So I like Matthew Wolf. And the reason I like I, I talked to Alan Bratton today over on my serious show. Uh, we were talking to him and he said there's something interesting about the way that Wolf drives the golf ball is with the rainy conditions he says Matthew Wolf his ball really doesn't roll out like he hits I mean he 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 gets great distance but it's all in the air it's all carry Mm -hmm. so he was like the weather's not going to matter to him because he's mostly all carry anyways off the tee so I was like hmm that's a nice little nugget to know so I'm going to sprinkle that down so you look at 33 to 1 um, I wonder Love what he is value, to finish man. in the top 10, but also a guy that I've heard a lot of people like to do well this week. Webb Simpson, Webb Simpson, also 33 to one. So playing hmm. some good golf. So just, I, I, I think everyone is curious what DeChambeau is going to do. Clearly Tiger, we all want him to be a factor, but this isn't like last year where he was playing really well and, you know, had a couple top tens heading into this event. And I know it's completely different time of year and it's, you know, COVID 2020. So, but I, I just don't think that he's at the level he was coming into Augusta. Now, now I hope I'm wrong because golf is better when Tiger Woods is in it. But we also, it would be kind of fun to see a rookie win like a first timer right and it hasn't happened since 1979 and i guess that's the only time it's happened the guy's name is fuzzy zeller zeller Zeller. yeah 1979 i mean i think i mean it's uh morikawa and wolf i mean that's those two guys have played as good as golf as anyone really down the stretch i mean they've been great uh, so I mean, I, I would say this year, there's a, there's a good chance at it. I like both those guys. I love Wolf's odds at, at 33 to one. That's great value for a guy that, you know, can score with anyone and he's a confident player, man. He could, he could go out there and do it. Well, he, he finished in the, what the top four mm-hmm. of his first two majors, what he was tied for fourth at the PGA and then finished second at yeah. the U S open when, you know, beefy Bryson I mean, walked away from everybody. There's, I mean, there is no uh, hesitancy in him at all about do I belong here? Am I good enough to win the Masters? I mean, yeah, he's he believes it, and I mean, he's going to. My opinion, he's going to win one at some point. Why not your first one? Now, there are the guys that play that tournament a lot. I mean, that's why everyone feels like this is the best major for Tigers because he knows that course so well. He understands it, the the nuances of all the greens and stuff like that. So he he will be behind him in some of that regard, but still he's got the talent to do it. Yeah. I hope Tiger does well. I can't wait, baby. Let's go. It's going to be – dude, we're going to drink so much this weekend just watching golf. It's like, oh, oh, I'm just watching golf. Oh, my gosh, I've already had 15 seltzers. <laughs> Oops. Okay, let's finish up, Ted, with everyone's favorite segment. That's keeping it local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And that's brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools are reopening in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. 
There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis' college per College prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Okay, Ted, the Thunder have their new coach. And it is Mark Dagnalt, 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 Dagnalt. Mark Dagnalt, Dagnalt. I think it's Dagnalt, Dagnalt. So, this is the only question I have. Sam Presti, when they were introducing Coach Mark, he said Dagnall, like clear as day, Dagnall. And I was like, okay, that's easy. But then the Thunder put out a little press release and the phonetic spelling. And you know, as, as a broadcaster that has to read pronunciation guys for other teams' rosters, you know that the phonetic spelling is very helpful, but I have never seen this break down. And it just says D a Y G in big letters dash N a L T in small letters. So Dignalt? see, that's why I think Sam Presti just said it wrong because the Y wouldn't be there if it wasn't Dagnalt, right? If it was Dagnalt, it'd just be big D a G dash lowercase n a l t right i think they accidentally hit the uh, y whenever they were pushing the g because i'm looking at it right here and the spelling now this is wikipedia so take that with a with a grain of salt here but it has d a g uppercase dash n o l t dagnall so so we don't know how to say his name is what you're telling me isn't that's pretty common with Thunder uh, players, right? I know, but How like this is the coach. Okay, Roberson Roberson has been a struggle. I mean, yeah, there's definitely. been a bunch of them. But I, I Schroeder, just really wish Schroeder. they would have addressed this. Like immediately, the first thing that I'm going to call him Coach Mark for now, because <laughs> you know how mad I get when people mispronounce my last name. So I'm going to call him Coach Mark for now. First of all. Okay, there's my initial reaction was I saw the release and I was like, how do you say this guy's name? I need to figure it out as soon as possible. I have had several people tell me several different things and I'm losing my damn mind, Teddy. But the interesting thing about Coach Mark is he's only 35 years old, which I know a lot of people saw that and they're like, wow, youth movement. Look at this. Like, oh, look at Presty go. That's not what my initial thought was. My initial thought was, I wonder if me and Teddy can be friends with this guy. Huh? Does he like Will and Wiley? I mean, the only way to know if he could be friends is, is he, is he a seltzer guy? We can either group him in or eliminate him immediately. That's an easy, hey, you're either in or you're out, Coach Mark. <laughs> Dagnalt, Dagnalt. Gosh, I wish I knew how to say his name. But – it, it, is an, it is an interesting hire, and this guy's got a really interesting background, right? Uh, UConn grad, which if they win games, he will immediately go above Dan Orlovsky in my UConn guy rankings. Sorry, Dan. But he was an assistant 
on Billy Donovan's staff last year, obviously. And then before that, he was the head coach of the OKC Blue, the G League team for the Thunder for five seasons. Had a lot of success in that role. And before that, coached at Florida for four years. And I guess the real question is, can he be a Sean McVay, you know, Kyle Shanahan type? I know that we're football guys, so we're talking about it in football terms, right? But, I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping for because you would assume he's going to be relatively cheap. Mm -hmm. But maybe he can be the guy. I think you're hoping for a to use it the same analogy with McVeigh or Shanahan is maybe a Spolstra whenever he first got the job at Miami. Here's the thing. Basketball way different than football. You got to have you got to have the guys. You got to have the players, man. And I'm I'm fascinated to see what they do. Sounds like they're they're trying to trade some guys um I think they're insane if they trade SGA for the number one overall pick. Why the hell would you trade a draft pick that has already turned out to be a good pick for a question mark? Why would you ever do that? So well, The way I look at it is uh, the current version of SGA would be the number one pick in this draft, like, and it wouldn't even be close, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's. You I, know I think you anyone have. that thinks that they're going to move SGA, uh, I mean, you would have to get, you would have to get players, not not more picks. You'd have to get players. Like it, we, we got enough picks, right? Right. Look at me. We, yeah, yeah. we. Well, the I mean, Thunder it's, organization. it's one thing though. Like if you have a Anthony Davis type talent or someone like that, that's poised to be the number one overall choice and it's a no-brainer but that's not the case this year so yeah I don't know um fascinated to see what happens I'm fascinated to see how this NBA season goes because a lot of the people surrounding it don't feel too optimistic for whatever reason I mean I know it's it's virus that's the reason but uh hopefully it gets off to a good clean start and you know we, we get to see some NBA basketball yeah but congratulations to Coach Mark Dagnall? Mark D. Coach, Coach Marky e. D. There we <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Marky e. D in the house in Oklahoma City. Uh, congratulations, Marky e. D. All right, Ted. Episode 59 mm. in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.